Warning, authorized personnel does not include you. This is the Blackwater EvaCost. It's a bit embarrassing, really. I'd been in Perth all of four hours before the Grey Stripe managed to make off with the artifact. In Banavi, I had found a large format briefcase, wider and taller than most, but just as narrow, the sort used by those who handle architectural and other newspaper-sized forms, and quickly altered the insides to snugly receive the artifact. Have I described the artifact to you as yet? Perhaps I should. It is roughly the shape of a capital C, though something over a foot across. Its ends are close together, separated by only about seven inches. Each has a place to receive a pin, and the moment I saw it, I realized that it would match the brass pins on the topaz egg I had taken from Gedge. There are some scuff marks near one terminus, which strongly suggests that something had been mounted there. The main body of the thing, its spine, if you will, is flat, except for one area of less than three inches, where it broadens and becomes a short tube which entirely crosses the spine, elongated as though to be fitted with or mounted on a pole. In fact, one could take a large dowel and put it through the tube, and its end would be guided to where I believe the egg should go. But the tube is perfectly smooth, and thus unlikely to be intended for mounting. Clearly, some experimentation needed to be done, as my initial sketches and measurements only got me so far. Thus, the portfolio case, which made for easy carrying and gave the extra advantage of looking unobtrusive. I was puzzled how they knew to take the case, but it was carried by myself and thus might well have held the item, which of course it had. The nuisance of the thing was that it was pilfered as I took a well-deserved pause for tea, having just rid myself of most of the traveling gear. I was in Perth now and could simply have my own people bring me to Glenshee, I still had my travel clothes, but had sent the rest to a small house where I store things locally. The case I kept at hand for safekeeping, ironically enough, and as it had been taken in a bustling public place, my guard uncharacteristically down, I had no idea who had taken it. What I did have was information about who among the Grey Stripe lived locally. For the most part, they were no one in particular, and unlikely to be especially informed gophers, lackeys, standard occultists. However, Olwyn Barr, Perthshire councilman and member of that secret society, was well-connected and fairly likely to have had a hand in planning the theft. In fact, he may well have had it on his person as I considered the problem. Armed with little aside from this notion, I quietly made contact with my contacts in town and soon discovered where he was likely to be that evening. Not in the council chambers, of course, but at the local Greystripe chapter house, possibly delivering the item. My knowledge at this point was fairly complete regarding their organization so close to my own lands, thanks to Robertson's infiltration, and setting someone to watch the chapter house was child's play. As the time drew near that Barr was likely to make his visit, I checked in with my watchman. Sure enough, mere minutes before, the councilman strode to the location and right in the front door. However, my watchman reported that Barr carried nothing with him. The cigar didn't count, and with the close-fitting coat on his tall, narrow frame, it was clear he was hiding nothing approaching the size of the artifact. I fought off a wave of frustration and thought, 
fuming in the shadows. I was willing to search the building if I knew it was there, but without such knowledge, it seemed very risky. I would need to find out directly from Ba where the item was, but how to isolate him for long enough to make my inquiry? I would need to work quickly. A telegraph office was my first destination. Message to the telegraph master in Glen Shee. Contact Daedalus Project, southeast of Amalry, Rouse Leviathan. Next, I went to see what was available at my local storage house. Its limited resources were sufficient to the plan. Then I returned to my watchman and sent him around the back of the building in case Ba decided to do something clever. About half an hour later, Ba stepped out into the late evening, puffing on a fresh cigar and looking very pleased indeed with himself. It was time to begin negotiations. I walked from the alleyway and directly into the street. At that point, I turned to look at Ba and jumped as though surprised to see him. He was wearing an alarmed look, but that changed quickly when I began to hurry off toward the town center, glancing over my shoulder as he disposed of his cigar and gave pursuit. It was a matter of a very few minutes before we were on High Street and the tan brick of the council building came into view. The reverte lay just beyond, and Ba had to think he was getting the better of me. Instead, I dodged into the street just before and around to the back of the building. A minute later, I was inside, where the councilman worked and knew every room, and more had a legitimate key. Smug, he entered and called, Hello! Come out, come out, wherever you are! He closed the door behind himself and began walking down the hallway, occasionally taunting me as I hid. Did you think you would just be able to take your little case back from me? Who do you think you're dealing with? He came across a door which should have been closed, but wasn't quite. He pushed it open and stealthily entered the office antechamber of one of the council members. A light was visible through the doorway on the far side of the room. His mouth twisted in a satisfied sneer. He held his walking stick like a club and crept toward the light. I know this because I was watching from behind the rather burdened hat and coat stand. The next thing Councilman Barr knew, he was bound to a chair in the primary council meeting chamber. Good evening, Councilman. I trust your headache will fade in a couple hours, leaving only the certainty that I am not to be trifled with. No, don't bother protesting that I have the wrong man or any such nonsense. You followed me here, remember, and I am well aware that you are the local prelate for the Grey Stripe. Let us assume that I know the facts well enough that I'll not be dissuaded by any amount of denial. Let us also agree that with your absurd title, prelate, I mean, not councilman, you would certainly be the one to lurk behind any theft of an artifact from my possession. It was not yours to possess. You stole it from the Monroe Collection only a couple of weeks ago. Hmm, I wonder what it was before that. You don't know. Maybe you should find out. It has been in that collection for years, since before the Grey Stripe was founded. In its current incarnation, that is. Yes, yes, these societies are always based on some mythic earlier version. No doubt in this case, headed by Alistair Monroe himself. Oh, do dispense with a mystified expression. This required no research. It's merely the story I would have used if I had wanted to found the Grey Stripe myself. So you have pilfered what I had rightfully stolen. I require its return. And while I would like to discuss rights of ownership of things which have been repeatedly stolen for as long as they have been known, I really must be going soon. You took longer than necessary to come round again. 
I did not add that Bar was both slim and slippery, and tying him up was like binding an unconscious snake. I was uncertain how long it would be before he worked himself free. Fortunately, he was too busy blustering to test the knots. I'll not hand it over to you. I don't even have it on my person. Obviously. Equally obviously, I know that you know where it is. And you think you can get the information out of me? Do your worst. I know a thing or two about you as well, Baron, such as your aversion to getting your own hands dirty. Don't be absurd. I do my own work whenever possible, partly because I trust myself more than any other, and partly because it's fun. Though you are correct in one regard. Being reduced to mere fisticuffs irritates me. So no, I'll not be applying knuckles to your fragile form today. You won't dent your baronial hands, and even if you did, I wouldn't be leading you to your portfolio case. Why did you bother with this charade? Let me go, and I'll give you half an hour head start before unleashing my men. You seem intent on forgetting that you were the one who chased me into this building. I opened my knapsack and rummaged through it. Ah, here we are. You see, you're partly right. You chased me here, but it was I who caused you to do so. Do you know what this is? I held up the item I had located and approached the immobile councilman. The object was the size and shape of a large brick, if rather lighter in weight, and wrapped in metallic gray cloth, with a small timepiece attached. You are about to object that I hurriedly faked this time bomb, and that you see through my panicked ploy. But you have mining interests, do you not? I waved it under his nose. You recall this scent from proximity to blasting materials? Do you also recognize the scent of proof that you have been outwitted? Perhaps not. If you survive until tomorrow, you would do well to remember it. You will detect it again should our paths cross. I talked the explosive into the rope which crossed his chest. Let's see. Five minutes should be enough time for you to tell me what you know. Just don't leave it until the last. At 45 seconds, I'll be leaving the building at speed. Before that, of course, I can stop the clock and you get to leave in one piece. Are we clear? You, you, you truly are a madman. How do you think it will appear if the council building's rotunda blows up with me inside? All fingers would easily point to you. Am I part of a shadowy organization whose motives and methods are both unknown and which may well desire anarchy and disruption? Once your membership in such a group is known, and planting entirely real evidence would be child's play, it would more appear that you had intended some explosive mayhem upon your fellow council members and got literally hoist by your own petard. But this is outlandish, nefarious. You would risk your own life, that of a leader of the community and the rotunda of the county seat itself, to retrieve a mere artifact, and indeed only part of one. Have you no civility, sir, no decency, no sense at all of morality? Morality? The only joy, the only peace and contentment in my life has come from ignoring your morality. For all that I am called mad, my mental, emotional, and physical health has improved greatly since I abandoned attempts to be good. My ideals, my integrity, my honor, yes, honor, are not yours, but they are reliable and they serve me well. I am not immoral. I am not amoral. I am differently moral, and my morality leaves your sad, weak-minded excuse for virtue begging for... Why am I explaining this to a member of the Grey Stripe? And worse, a politician. 
You may try to hang some absurd shame on me for being what I am, but unlike you, my albatross is not going to level this building in three minutes. Why would anyone follow such a man? I collect brilliant outsiders, misfits, outcasts, those whose skills are excessive and in areas considered wrong, whose natures do not conform to what is demanded by the world at large. In my service, they exert their true nature, embody nothing but themselves, unrestrained by societal nonsense, conforming only in obedience to me, answering only to my outlandish and nefarious commands. I found myself rather closer to the bar than I had intended, bending over his terrified form and grasping his wrists where they were tied to the chair. The ticking of the clock between us was suddenly the loudest thing in the room. I stood and stepped back. I shall find the artifact myself. You are clearly unwilling to compromise your principles, and, frankly, there are only a few places it could reasonably be. It is just a matter of time. I glanced at the clock on the bomb, and I have perhaps a little more than you. Goodbye, Prelate Bar. Before I reached the door, Bar suddenly said, It's at the local Greystripe meeting house. I had it brought there early this afternoon. Top shelf of the ladder. I turned and regarded him. That wasn't so hard, was it? I suppose I should untie you. Though that would be inviting trouble, and soon. No, I shall leave you in place. But I'll take this with me. No point leaving evidence. I removed the bomb from him, and both stopped and disconnected the clock. Without another word, I left, moving with all speed once out of bar sight. The building I watched earlier was no challenge whatever to enter when no one was there to see. I wasted no time in locating the case, in the larder as promised, and paused only long enough to be sure the artifact was still in it. And with that, my business in Perth was concluded. A tricky aspect of the plan was deciding the best way to leave. As in Banavi, the most obvious choice was possibly the worst. I was a mere thirty miles from Blackwater Castle and yet I dared not arrive there with a hornet's nest of grey stripe agents chasing me, and no time to prepare a proper reception. But I would be wise to make use of that assumption that it would be my direct goal. One of my local assets was a motor car, a Vauxhall A-type, held in the name of one of my agents as though it were his. I would make use of it tonight. Tomorrow he would report his rather distinctive automobile stolen, have it returned to him more or less unharmed from where it was found in the nearby hill country, and declined to press charges on whomever had taken it. Once the motor car was acquired, I secured the knapsack and portfolio case in the passenger side, my driving goggles and hat on my head, and roared out of Perth into the foggy night. The road to Blair Gallery would have been more direct, but I hoped my nearly parallel choice of road toward Dunkeld would give the impression of attempting to throw off my inevitable pursuers. As it turned out, I got more than mere pursuers, Less than two miles north of Perth, I saw the headlamps coming from a roadblock or checkpoint that had been set up. The Grey Stripe would have no qualms about the absurdity of any reason they could give for such a thing. It was time to dodge. A few hundred yards before the roadblock was a road leading west. I slowed as though to stop at the roadblock, then suddenly swung left and bolted down the new road. The surprised shouting of the Grey Stripe agents as they hurried to their vehicles was oddly satisfying. I also noticed a pair of motorcars traveling north along the road I had just left at suspicious speed. I was about to have a lot of company. This road, like the previous, led through the darkened farmland and quiet hamlets, 
It varied more than the old military road out of Perth, but gave no real chance to lose the agents, whose automobiles continuously alerted me to their distance and persistence, with cones of light searching through the fog. I drove faster than most would think safe, occasionally wiping the collected mist from my goggles. But it made no difference, and after the fourth mile, the pursuers were the same distance behind that they were after the first. I slowed to let them catch up over the course of a couple minutes. As they neared, they sped up further, attempting to ram the rear of my vehicle. However, my Vauxhall had no trouble accelerating from them again. More than once, the lead automobiles nearly collided. When I was certain they were focusing more on me than the road, I drifted to one side as the turn approached. At the bend in the road, I waited until the last possible instant before correcting course. The lead vehicle's driver saw his error and corrected, but at least two which followed ran each other off the road. That was a good start, I figured. I accelerated again before the last of my pursuers could get around the collision and sped into the night. A pair of miles later, the road took a fairly sharp turn around a hill, and at the point of the turn, a much smaller road branched north and up into the hills proper. The agents were not fooled by my maneuver. Glimpses of their headlamps' glow flickered behind me. Between woods and scrubland I sped, at times with the cliff dropping into darkness to one side, faster than most would think sane, still clearing the fog from my goggles. At the end of a section of woods, a red deer suddenly loomed out of the darkness, raising its head to regard my onrushing vehicle with vague curiosity. I slipped just off the side of the road and slid sideways to a halt. I spun the wheels, which soon were well stuck in the mud. I grabbed the case, knapsack, and gas can, and hauled myself away from the road, up a grey rock slope which disappeared into the fog. When the pursuing headlamps lit the Vauxhall, it was nearly hidden from my view by the mist. They noticed it, of course, and the three remaining motorcars stopped. My direction was fairly easily guessed. They were shortly in pursuit again. When I reached the top, I had gained some distance on them, but I had reached the top. It was a bare, round peak only a couple dozen yards across. When the six agents struggled onto the edge, they saw in the light of their electric torches, myself, the knapsack and case slung on my back, lit flare in my left hand, cloth-wrapped package in my right. Hello, prelate. So good of you to come. However, I think you've come close enough. With a flare, I ignited a trail of fuel which led from myself to a circle that nearly bordered the peak. The agents stepped cautiously back from the barrier of flames. You led us a merry chase, but it ends here. You've nowhere else to go. Cornered on a hill with no corners. Huh? That's not as clever as I think you think it is. Weren't there more of you earlier? Some decide to stop at a pub? Perhaps a little engine trouble? That's enough of this, said an agent who sounded far south from Scotland. She drew a pistol and fired my direction. I heard it pass, and instinctively ducked, dropping the flare. My hat chose that moment to make its escape and flew somewhere behind me. Bar struck her shoulder. Hold your temper, you idiot. His other hand has a bomb. Indeed it does. We wouldn't want it to drop into the fire, would we? Agent Triggerfinger, catch. I aimed the thing a bit too high for her to reasonably catch, I must admit. She dropped her pistol and missed the package, both of which went skittering into the darkness, and nearly followed them herself. What exactly is your plan here? The fuel is going to burn out in a few minutes. Give us the artifact and return home, tail between your legs, lesson learned. Or wait until the fuel is gone, and the lesson could be more painful. Lessons. You want to discuss lessons. Here is what I have learned today. 
Never let one's guard down when a group of common thieves are obsessed with something you carry. Common thieves? You're one to talk. There is nothing common about me. I have also learned that while you do pose a sudden threat to my plans now and then, leading you about by the nose is no more difficult than it is anyone else. Frankly, I'm disappointed. I'd hoped for a worthy opponent, but I have been herding you like sheep all evening. Have you learned anything from all this, prelate? The value of humility, perhaps. Knowing when to leave bad enough alone. Quitting while you're behind. Comprehending when you are entirely outmatched. A faint, very low rumble had been slowly growing in the air around us, but Bar was too incensed to notice. The circle of fire around the peak began to quiver and fade. Lord Blackwater tries to tell me about humility. That's rich. Your arrogance will be the end of you. The deep, muffled rumble became loud enough to notice above the breeze of the highland night. It isn't arrogance if it's true. Your grasp has exceeded your reach, Bar, and you have little idea the mind you have set yourself against. From the mist and the darkened sky, into the flickering light of the hilltop, the colossal form of an airship materialized behind me. Tendrils of fog fled its slow approach, and the agent stood transfixed. In the chancy light of fuel and flare, it was impossible to see the extent of the thing. Most of its edges faded into the darkness, making it something too large to comprehend. A chain ladder unrolled from a hatch in the gondola. I stepped onto it, and as the ship began to rise, I pointed at the agents, my hair blowing wild around my face. You will give up this foolish chase, or you will come to curse the day you challenged me. They did not move from where they stood, standing at the edge of what I now saw as a ruin of some ancient hilltop fort, until all I could see of the place was the fading ruby flame of the flare. I climbed into the gondola and went to the flight deck. Bobozin's whistle sounded and the crew saluted briefly before returning to their duties. Commander Wellesley showed no hint of surprise at my disheveled and windblown appearance. Welcome aboard, sir. Did your plans go as expected? Indeed, Commander. Timing is everything. Set a course for Southampton. We need to draw attention away for a little while. In the meantime, where is McThomas? I'd like some tea. The Blackwater Aethercast is written, produced, and performed by Nicholas Jovian. Additional voices by Kayla Thomas. Beginning and ending music is by Derek and Brandon Victor. They can be found at dbvictor.bandcamp.com. Follow the Baron on Instagram at Baron Blackwater. Also, visit lordblackwater.com to be the featured entertainment. And thanks for listening. Just ignore that ticking sound.